guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This episode's guest is Derek Evely. Derek is the former sports science manager of the Canadian Athletics Coaching Centre, as well as the former director of the UK Athletics Centre at Luckborough from 2009 to 2012. Derek has been involved in the development of several Canadian champions and has coached many world-class athletes including Dylan Armstrong in the shot put, Sophie Hitchin in the hammer throw and he's currently working with Satana Fazel who won the gold medal at the 2014 Commonwealth Games in the hammer throw. Derek is also one of the very few coaches who have worked closely with legendary coach Dr. Anthony Bonderchuk. On this episode Derek and I discuss Derek's background and influences, the good and bad things that Derek sees within the human performance profession. And then we got into an extremely detailed discussion about Dr. Bondarchuk's training system. In fact, we got into such a detailed discussion that this episode ended up being over two hours long. And this is why I've decided to split this episode into two parts. So this was a really great episode, guys. And I really hope you enjoy part one. Okay, Coach Derek Evely, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on my podcast. Uh, thanks so much for making the time today to uh, be here with me. Just for the listeners who may not be too familiar with who you are, Derek, just fill us in on your background. Uh, well, I'm a, uh, uh, well, I'm a uh, track and field coach. Um, uh, currently not coaching any high-performance athletes at the moment. Uh, but the uh, last few years, I've been coaching uh, a couple of high-performance hammer throwers. Um, and, uh, you know, I pretty much coach anything that kind of comes my way. The last few years, it's been hammer simply because uh, my, uh, my life situation, um, um, it's just, just the environment. We have to train outside. It's kind of hard to do that with any of the other events uh, in Canada year-round. But in the hammer... I was able to do it at home, put a circle in my backyard. I, uh, you know, uh, I have a strong, keen interest in theory of methodology, and um, I spent some time in the UK working as a uh, uh, center director for one of the two key Olympic centers that UK Athletics uh, set up going into the London Games. Sorry if you hear any dinging here. I got all these devices around me that are all, I got to turn them off. No, don't, don't, uh, don't, don't anyway. worry about it, don't worry about it. Sense to sort of figure out how that whole system works. So I was fortunate enough to 
be very close to him for a period and uh, and watch that. And with my 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 background before I met him in uh, you know this in theory and methodology and you know, study, it's kind of a hobby of mine, or it used to be, anyways. Uh, you know, it's just sort of all came together, and so I could ask to do to share a lot, which I don't mind doing. I in fact I like doing it, and so yeah, so here we are. Could you uh, maybe uh, fill my listeners in on um, your sort of first exposure to meeting Dr. Bonnichel? The story is quite funny, you know, the whole manure story and the email he got thinking like there was someone playing a joke on you that he wanted to come and work in Canada. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was, yeah, I've told this a few times, but it's a, it's a great, uh, it's, a, it's a good story because it, it was really bizarre how it all unfolded, but Basically, what happened was one day I got a, an email from a, from Dr. Bonnerchuk's son-in-law, who was a former NHL hockey player, was living in, in Calgary, British or Calgary, Alberta, which is the province next to the one I live in. Um, they had done a uh, they were looking to bring Dr. Bonnerchuk over to Canada to move over there, thinking that Canada was similar to Russia, and that you know we have a lot there's a lot of opportunity for professional coaches. Which there, at especially at that time, there were not. I was the only private, I was the only full-time paid coach in the country in a private situation. So, in other words, not in a school um, or a university. Uh, that's a bit different now. There are more now that sort of followed that model, but uh, back then I was the only one. Um, uh, not that I was making a lot of money, but anyways, I was, uh, you know, just a young guy young single guy uh, developing this club and had some really good talent come my way. Anyways, they did a search on Hammer Canada, a simple search, and our club came up because Dylan Armstrong, I'd been coaching him, um, He by that time he had already moved to the shot, but because of his history in the Hammer throw, and he was the world junior champ silver medalist in the Hammer, and uh, was at the time poised to break the Canadian senior record in the Hammer, he's was a Canadian junior record or one of them and uh, so anyways our club came up and they just sent us an email and said yeah we you know my father-in-law is or Igor sent the email my father-in-law wants to move to uh, Canada here's his resume he didn't tell me his name and of course I knew who it was because I'd, anybody that's coached throws uh, especially throws uh Athletics knows who Dr. Bonnerchuk is. Anybody in the sport pretty much knows who Dr. Bonnerchuk is because of his a lot of the work he's done as a sports scientist back in the back in the uh, US, former USSR. So I thought it was a buddy of mine playing a joke, uh, Glenn McAdee, and and uh, who's a buddy, a good friend and colleague that kind of uh, I go back and forth with trading jabs, you know. Where <laughs> And uh, I, anyways, I sent him an email, said, hey, you know, hey, the, yeah, very funny. And he's like, oh, that wasn't me. So I, um, I got back to uh, Igor and, you know, one thing led to another. It was about a three or four year process. Uh, we originally said, no, we, there's no way you can do it. We just, you know, you don't understand the situation in Canada. I'm the only full-time coach. I was making about 33000 a year or something like that, which, in Canada is basically starvation wages. I said there's certainly no chance for us to be able to afford another salary because I had approached the uh, our national and provincial federations and they weren't interested in helping. 
but then you know we stayed in touch and we, at the about the same time we had this big fundraiser that was getting bigger and bigger every year and right around that time those last sort of three years that from period from uh 2002 2003 to 2005 when dr bondarchuk moved there uh this fundraiser exploded and the fundraiser was um you know we sold bags of manure um basically a horse or a steer manure that uh, mushrooms have been grown in and uh we had we it was a brilliant idea of a uh, former coach of mine my high school coach and it sounds all crazy and everybody likes to laugh and joke about it and make fun of it until they find out the last three years we made $50,000 a weekend making selling these uh, bags of manure. We'd have one or two weekends a year. Uh, by the end it got pretty big so it, was, it took two weekends to deliver all the manure but we made the last year $53,000 and we were, in, you know, the rules around making that kind of money as a nonprofit in Canada are pretty strict. You know, you really can't sort of uh, save it. So uh, we, we were like, well, what are we going to do with the money? And, and I was like, well, let's just hire Bonnerchuk. He wants to come. So we, we sent him an offer, a modest offer. He accepted it without hesitation. And next thing I knew, he moved into my basement. I renovated my basement into a one-bedroom suite. Or already was one, but I renovated made it a bit nicer. Had an office down there. And, uh, yeah, the rest is history. He moved in and... So I would get up in the morning, we'd go, we'd coach, and then we'd come home, and we would we started writing a book together. Um, I really learned a lot through that process, really learned a lot, and uh, sort of got to see how his system sort of plays itself out on a day-to-day basis. And for those people that aren't familiar with it or haven't studied it since we've been, you know, there's a number of us, myself, Martin Bingesser, and a few other people, Nick uh, Garcia, you know, who have adopted and um, putting it out there over 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 the excuse me over uh, the internet. We uh, yeah, you know, we we've it, it's a lot different than we uh, than than we're used to in North America. The structure and some of the ideas, so it's very um, very intriguing to me. I find the system. I don't. You know, I, I and like I say at the beginning, every time I, you know, speak about this, I don't, I don't speak for Dr. Bonnerchuk. It's very, very important people understand that. I don't, I don't pretend to know the system, all the ins and outs, the way he does, certainly. But I certainly had a good success with it. Um, the results I've had with it have, have um, at least. Um, Play that's the results and, and the, the and when I say results, I mean the results in training, how the athletes' reactions to training play themselves out would indicate that you know follow very much the examples that he gives in his books and things like that. So I know I'm doing something right, um, and so it's uh, yeah. So between a, myself and a number of my colleagues that I just met, you know, we've been able to sort of piece it all together. Um, and try to help people uh, understand it that are interested in it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the system in the world. Um, I don't think that, I don't think the system actually exists. I'm a big fan of what uh, a lot of other coaches I know do that don't use this system. Very successful coaches, in fact, arguably more successful coaches. But I think there's something 
there's there's examples and there's something to learn from studying the system and uh, you know it really has made me question a few uh, some of my previous beliefs uh, not that I've adopted these new ideas a hundred percent but it has shifted the, my thinking in a lot of ways what would some of those beliefs that it shifted what, what, what are some of those beliefs that have changed well well, there's a couple. One is the, um, you know, the whole idea that, um, that um, you know, the classic periodization scheme, first of all, that, uh, you know, where you have set, you know, you, you, you start at a certain date in the fall or whenever your early season is, and you establish a date for a major championships, and then you divide all of that up and you, and you manipulate all of the various workloads in order to develop a reaction from an athlete. That works. It's great. That's, that's the way 99.99% of us do it. Um, but this system's a little bit different. It's a little more individualized where you actually measure the reaction um, through not wave loading volume and intensity and keeping a program consistent. You... Um, you measure that athlete's specific individual reaction to training, and once you have that, you're able to establish a certain reaction, which can take a while. Then you build the periodization around that. Um, so that was a big one. The other one is, you know, the 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 the, the dog or the reliance on maximal strength to get results, um, which you know I was a big believer in before. I'm still, I wouldn't say it's made me a disbeliever in it. Uh, Dr. B certainly um, doesn't do a lot of it, uh, feels like, which I agree with, once an athlete gets past a certain level, it's just, you know, it's not like just from an economics point of view, um, a cost-benefit is just not worth doing anymore. Um, it's not specific enough and it doesn't directly contribute to um, to results. Um, it's made me rethink that and, you know, and having done it and having removed a lot of that kind of training or really dialed down I've, I've you know seen results increase so I think that's significant I'm not so sure it it can be done you know all the time and you know um, like right throughout it an entire athlete's career I think there definitely is a place for it but it needs to be, but it really made me think about how I manage maximal strength loads. So those are two of the big ones, um, you know. Just be, before we get sort of more in depth into Dr. Bonnachuk's system and also comparing it to other periodization schemes, just two questions I wanna make sure that I get to ask you is, uh, outside of Dr. B, who, who have also been your biggest influences, both as a coach and uh, on you as a person? Well, that's a big question, I mean, I, I you know, I say this all the time. I, I'm probably one of the most well-mentored coaches out there. And, you know, I'm not sure what that says about the results I've gotten. <laughs> but, I mean, right down from my high school coach, who had a massive influence on me um, as a, uh, you know, basically a, a complete fuck-up as a, as a kid and an athlete. And he sort of took me under his wing and was very hard on me and very, um, you know, had very high expectations for me and was not, you know, very old school, very, um, you know, uh, I could tell you stories about, 
me walking down the hall in my school and him literally grabbing me by the scruff of the neck, throwing me in a room and slapping me around, <laughs> so to speak, well, figuratively and literally, um, to smart me up. You know, I grew up, uh, you know, sort of on the other side of the tracks, single parent. You know, my mom raised me largely, you know, grew up, uh, uh, you know, on my own in a lot of, in a lot of respects, although I grew up in a loving household, I was a bit of a, bit of a, uh, you know, I was a bit wild, I needed a bit taming, and this guy took me under his wing, and, you know, he made the first massive impression on me, and, you know, you know, helped me believe in, uh, in myself, and then, you know, I had an, uh, another another big influence on me was uh, Andy Higgins, who uh, was was uh, my first high performance coach. I was a Catholic. Uh, I'd spent some time at Simon Fraser University under under another good coach named Dennis Schmahowski. But then I, after about a, a couple a year or two of that, I moved to Toronto and trained with a high performance center with Mike Smith, Dave Steen, and a bunch of other guys. And um, uh, those were both internationally international medalists uh, in the decathlon and Andy Higgins you know did the same thing with me that uh, with you know a little more with kid gloves I'd say but uh, same thing as my high school coach did and and uh, you know was a big influence on me big influence on me in terms of you know the power of uh, or the importance and the power of of, uh, of coaching clean and uh, and clean sport in general um, and, uh, you know, from there, the next one was Dan Pat. Probably had the bigger impact on me as a coach than even Dr. Bonnerchuk did. I mean, so much of the details, uh, so much of my coaching, particularly the details, came from Dan. And, you know, even on a personal level, Dan helped me out a bit. He's uh, just a remarkable human being. And anybody that is um, has the opportunity to go to, go to Arizona these days and, uh, you know, take part in some of their coaching apprenticeships, I'd highly recommend it. And I don't get kickbacks for that. They're just all friends of mine. And I think, you know, I spent, I, I, I originally um, got, uh, I originally got hooked up with Dan because he recruited my first big talent, a 400 meter runner named Shane Neamey, who broke Canadian record in the 400 as a junior and went on to uh, be the first not under me, but under Kevin Tyler, became the first uh, Canadian 400-meter runner under 45 seconds, which at the time was a massive deal because we had had the same um, Canadian record for like 20 years or something. Nobody was able to break. He just shattered it. Anyways, um, Dan uh, recruited Shane, and you know that, I, that led me to create start a relationship with him. I did four one-week trips down to Texas to hang out with Dan back in the day when none of this was formal and, you know, just go and sit on the track and he would hand me the keys to his office and the photocopier at night. I, I remember one night staying there until about two in the morning photocopying. I came back with a duffel bag full of papers, a lot of which I still have today. I digitized, a, I actually digitized a lot of those and they're on the CACC website. Uh, you know, Dan, I can't, I can't underestimate the impact he had on me, you know. Um, and, you know, from there, you know, I did a lot of friends, too. A lot of my colleagues, Kevin Tyler is a big, you know, big influence on me. Charles Van Comedy influenced me a lot in the time I was in uh, Britain. Um, you know, I've been, I got a lot of good friends and a lot of good, um, good examples to follow in the sport. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I've applied actually to do an internship at uh, at Altus or used to be called WAC, um, for next year. So I'm hoping I'll get it and get a chance to work with them. Yeah, I you know, I think you know it'll change you as a coach. You know, I mean, you know, um, not that you know, not that everybody should go there and come away with you know trying to be a a damn path clone, but you know he really opened my eyes to how important it is to think and be objective and study and you know not be afraid to go you know to to really go out there in terms of in terms of sports science and and explore possibilities and it just opened up a huge world for me and just absolutely just dramatically changed how I coach him and Bonnerchuk, you know, uh, really, you know, I mean, with Bonnerchuk, I don't really, I, I mean, this, this is not a criticism or anything, but I didn't really learn a lot about coaching from Dr. Bonnerchuk. What I mainly learned from Dr. Bonnerchuk is the system, which I really, you know, which uh, I found to be quite powerful and effective. But as a, a you know, day-to-day coaching, it's, you know, he's pretty straightforward. And, and even mechanically, I didn't really didn't really pick up a lot that I didn't already know. Although you know, in the, in the uh, shot and disc, you know, it's the way the way that you know he, um, the way they deliver the the implement is a bit um, you know open my eyes up there to the European style, which you know I'm not saying is not not that I've necessarily adopted that, but at least I explored it and saw the power in that that he you know that technique that he did with Dylan. So. Uh, and Justin Rohde and, and Tim, but, um, you know, I mean, really, between everything I've learned about being a coach from those, from those previous mentors and then the system of Dr. Bonnerchuk, I, you know, I feel I'm in a good place these days. Do you still keep in regular contact with the likes of Dan and Dr. B? Dan, I do a lot. Uh, Dr. B, not so much, even though he just lives down the road. I ran into him at Costco yesterday, actually, and he didn't have a lot to say to me. I don't know. There's been, it's a, it's a, he just sort of, Dr. B doesn't say a lot. He's pretty, uh, you know, I don't know. He's, you have to sort of, to maintain a relationship with him, you pretty much got to see him every day. I don't, so, uh, I don't live in Camelus anymore. I live up in the mountains outside of it. So, uh, you know, and, you know, there's just politics can get in the way sometimes of things and that's, which is unfortunate, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really see him a lot. He's usually his doors open though. If I go and knock on the door, he's usually pretty good at, at you know taking the time to sit down with me. I just just don't. I find these days learning. And we'll, we'll probably get into this later. I find these days with his system, it's the more questions you ask of him, the more confusing it can get. Once you've got the the basic idea and the basic structure of the system down, it, after that it's really all about experimenting and there's no straight answers to any question and you know if you you can't it's very difficult to ask him a specific question about something because the answer is always well it depends and it and it depends on the athlete and, the, and how they react and so it's all about hit miss experimentation throwing things against the wall to see what sticks so you know for the last and once I realized that I realized that six, seven years ago, and once I realized that, I sort of, you know, I'll check in with them at time to time to see if anything's new, but I get more out of talking with the athletes that work with them than I do actually talking to him. 
just finally before we get into the real deep discussion on the periodization models and more into Dr. B, uh, in your opinion, Derek, what do you think are the best things and the worst things you see within the uh, the sports performance profession? That's why that's why, I, that's why I get these big names like you on the show. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a big question. Uh, off the top of my head, um, clearly to me, the biggest, the the best thing about um, our you know the high performance or whatever you want to call the elite sport, at least in athletics um, world, if you want to call it community right now, is the sharing that's going on, mm. and I think. You know, not not that you know me or anyone I know should specifically take credit for that, but I think you know we I think I think we had a big hand in that in, in Edmonton, you know, and that that wasn't sort of by design; it was more by fluke, and that's how we ended up in the UK. It was from our reputation, uh, you know, particularly Kevin's, in starting all of that, all the whole online thing. That was that was right at the time when. You know, um, podcasts were becoming big, and you know, so we sort of started. Well, I don't know if we started it, but we were, we certainly were one of the the, the, the leaders in that. Yeah. And that's you know how Kevin got the job, and you know, big reason why Kevin got the job in the UK. I followed him, and then of course we just, I mean, what the work that Tom Crick did on you, Coach, there is absolutely incredible. I hear they're taking that down, but which would be a just a travesty if that happened that's one of the great that's probably the single greatest online resources for athletics coaches in the world but anyways but and now it's it's you know the work that Stu is doing at Altus with the other coaches and Dan and is phenomenal like it's just phenomenal the amount of sharing that's going on and and um, it's it's just it's it's amazing I wish it had been around when I was when I was a young coach because when I was a young coach coming up, none of this existed. You had to go and dig it all up yourself, and yeah, you had to get on a plane and travel like I did to go see Dan and other people, and and it was you know, and then you'd haul back a seventy-pound bag full of paper, and then you'd have, you know, I mean, it was crazy. But I, I mean, you know, the it, anyways, it's 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 phenomenal what's going on these days. People are way more open than they used to be. It was very it used to be very hard getting information out of some coaches, especially coaches sort of at that sub elite level. You know where you know I find that the really true geniuses tend to be very open, very very open. And so I've always sort of when I was a young coach, I just bypassed everybody, went as far to the top as I could to to, to learn things because I just found they were you know they were more open and that's that's another thing that I learned from Dan you know Dan when I first started going down to visit him I remember he sat me down one day and he said to me he goes uh, I asked him about that I said you know you're pretty open with all this it's it's not been my experience with a lot of the coaches I know and he looked at me and he goes well he goes you know this this is typical Dan he goes the Chinese have a
values from there. And now I just, I mean, I there's very little I have that I'm sharing. If there is anything, it's just because I haven't thought of sharing it. I mean, I I really try to share as much as I can and, and, and get out there. Um, but, uh, you know, if it helps people, it helps people. And it's I think it's just better for the sport. So I see that as really, really good. The, the only thing I see in with regards to that that's a bit challenging is that there's so much of it now. There's so much information online. And what do you know what's good? What How do you know what's good and what isn't? And young coach today, I'd be, oh, man, there's so much out there. You, 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 just, you can get such a brain fuck just, just trying to sort it all. But if you, uh, you know, if... I, I, you know, whatever. It's better than not having it, you know, and you just got to sort through it and and do what, you know, do what you think is, is good. I, in terms of what's worst, well, I mean, the whole drug issue is, is, I think, getting way, 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 way better in our sport. And the thing I see that's, that disturbs me now is that people aren't recognizing that. And there's still this problem that people, that we have where, you know, uh, at the highest levels, the people that are dirty are continually, continuously saying that everybody's dirty, and the ones that, that are clean are also saying, oh, everybody's dirty, and everybody's saying it for different reasons. You know, the dirty ones are saying it because they don't want to believe that anybody else could do what they're doing clean, and the clean ones are saying it because they don't want to believe that anybody else can do what they're doing clean, and it's you know, uh, I don't think that helps a sport. It's always, it's just, it's just, I don't even get into those discussions with people I'm not familiar with anymore without my, because it's just, what do you do? It's just, it's ridiculous. But I do think that the, I, I mean, I'm not naive for a second. I do think, you know, it is a lot better than it was. I think we're seeing that. We for sure saw that in some of the throwing events and, and even across the board in Beijing this year. You know, one of the reasons why, and I'm not, you know, I think one of the reasons why Canada is having so much success right now is because we're benefiting from that, um, and that's the way it should be. And I think, uh, you know, it's never going to be a hundred percent, and it's never, you know, but I think it's, uh, I think, you know, it's uh, at least at the elite level, I think it's getting a lot better. I'm not so sure it is on a, you know, on a community level. From what I talked to my teacher friend, apparently it's a big problem in the schools. But anyway. So I think there's that, you know, but, uh, you know, we, we, we live with that, and it's, uh, it's just the way it is. Just on, uh, on, your, on, on your point there, with regards to Dan Faft kind of being very open, uh, I suppose uh, I've heard Tim Ferriss, there's just a bit of echo there, uh, I've heard Tim Ferriss say that he's of a similar mindset in that, you know, instead of having a scarcity mindset, he has an abundancy mindset. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, Dan is, um, yeah, he's something else, man. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, you have to, you know, I mean, you, you, there's definitely, when you're, I, I think it's really, what they're doing there is really great because he's just turning on, well, they all are, not just him, the other coaches there as well, Stu is phenomenal as well, you know, they turn a lot of people on to, to critical thinking and being rational and objective and, and fact-based, and I think that's that's all really good. You definitely, you know, once you start hanging around Dan a lot, Dan, in particular Dan, is you, you definitely, you know, you, you need to develop a little bit of a filter because you get so much thrown at you, and a lot, you know, it's just Dan's way is to talk in 
that's not even it. I I'd say he just he just he talks in a way. I I love it. I love it. I can listen to Dan lecture for hours on end. But sometimes you know it's uh, he'll be he'll be taking something that's very simple and and just picks it apart and, and analyzes it. I think that's it's amazing. But sometimes the you know young coaches they get overwhelmed by it. You know <laughs> so. And I think that's a good thing because I think they need to be able to be exposed to that, and that helps them sort it out. I think he's, uh, you know, I think he does really good work. They all do good work there. Just before we move on, what was the name of that Tom Crick program? What was the name of your St. Tom Crick's program that they, the, or the website? What was it? You coach. You coach. You coach. Okay. Yeah, but you can only get on it if you're in the UK, but you, you need right. to use a VPN. Use a VPN, you, you can get on it. Yeah, That's I, some I, incredible stuff. I actually, yeah. I, I know the website because I've, I've been on it a few times before and every time I go to Green, he goes, you're not in the UK. I'm like, fuck's sake. I'm <laughs> just like, I'm yeah. going to try up to Northern Ireland so yeah, I can log in here. Just get, a, just get a VPN. Get ExpressVPN. I've, 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 I've gotten on it outside using ExpressVPN. Yeah, there's another one called Hola. You know, you can use it for Netflix. I'm, I'm assuming that will get me in as well. It blocks your VPN. Yeah. Uh, all right, so um, Derek, let's get into the to the meat and potatoes. We, we kind of touched on it earlier on, but I suppose the main reason why everyone wants to speak to you is 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 around this idea of Doctor Bonnerchuk's periodization model. But as I said to you offline before we came on, I was just listening to uh, a podcast you've done on the Canadian Athletics website, and for people who 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 uh, don't go on that like that, the actual resource in that is incredible. The one little complaint I have though is. You can't actually buy your videos. You can only buy them for like two months. I, I wish I could just buy it as a permanent product, but still, they're still they're still well worth getting anyway. Um, but uh, could you maybe for the listeners go through you know like you did in that podcast the different periodization models so Mefiev, uh, Verkashansky, Chini, and then Bondarchuk, and then really get heavy into like Bondarchuk and where there is disagreements, and you can spend the next half an hour, forty minutes. You can just go ahead now and take over. <laughs> You want me to start from okay? Well, yeah. I mean, I I, I do a lot of lecturing on this. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very pretty straightforward, really. I mean, you know, back in the day when Matt, yeah, you know, who was a genius in his own right at the time, you know, uh, in the fifties they decided that, or probably earlier, they decided that, you know, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. So let's start. Let's start. Uh, Let's start planning training and and block you know and making uh, not blocks isn't the right word but let's let's you know let's plan it. So he started taking the year, dividing it, dividing it up into into well at one period at the time, uh, single or double periodization I guess, and just you know saying you know using that model that you know which made perfect sense at the time that if you're going to you know do high intensity workloads you need to start with something that's a little more general and go from general to specific and so you start with a big wave of volume in the early season and that tapers off to a big wave of high intensity um, and it made perfect made perfect sense still makes perfect sense on a lot of levels that went on for a while um, you know and that's where you get into all these different stages of training you know GPP and then SP you know SPP special preparation phase. I mean and there and depending on who you read, whether it's Bob or or you know, some uh, other interpretations of Matviev's work, I mean, you know, the terminology can can 
change a bit, but basically that's what it is. It's uh, going from general to specific with a big wave of volume at the beginning, leading to um, you know uh, lesser volume and a higher wave, a higher intensity. You know, there's problems with that. It, it turns out after a while we realize, started to realize that there's problems with that. Um, it works, but it's not necessarily ideal. Particular, well, it's not ideal for everybody, I would say, but it's even less ideal for athletes in speed power sports. And one of the reasons why is because, you know, that all worked as long as everybody was doing it. But then what happened was high-end coaches started coming along and saying, well, why, why don't I just start doing some of this more specific work if the specific work is leading to bigger and better results, which is what they were figuring out. Why don't I just start doing, why can't I just do specific work earlier and earlier? And so that led to this evolution where, which I guess, you know, uh, is represented by the Cheney model. And you got to remember, a lot of these models, it's not like these guys sat down and said, oh, let's develop a model. They more just wrote down or they more just... Um, conceptualized or put on paper what coaches were already doing okay so you know then it came along this Cheney uh, this idea that Cheney established or recognized and laid out uh, which is you know that sooner or later coaches especially in the 80s they started you know high-end coach I know Charlie Francis was big on this he was one of the first guys to talk about it. you start doing specific work right off the bat like right right out of the gate there's no reason why you need to do this huge wave of, of general work. What's the point? I really like what Charlie used to say about it, which is, you know, he used to say, you know, you've developed this athlete to a very high peak, which ends around August, September. Why are you going to go back a month later and do all this general work? It's like detraining. It made perfect sense. <clears throat> but so what happened was, you know, the, these um, – you know, this earlier and earlier um, um, introduction of specific work led to this also, you know, in, in conjunction with that came this idea that rather than doing these big waves, a big wave of general work followed by, you know, uh, a wave of intensity, high wave of intensity, why not just do everything all the time where you're doing moderate loads of everything, general work, uh, um, you know, special strength um, and, you know, uh, specific work, why not do, you know, do it all the time, all of it all the time. So you have all these systems that are being developed simultaneously, and, and there is a lot of advantages to that people started to realize. Number one is if you're especially, you know, is number one is you're training specific abilities all the time, and that can't be a bad thing unless you're overdoing it. Number two, if you're in technical events, it, it, it leads to way more technical work. And so in events where technical proficiency is super important, it was, it's much more desirable. So, but the problems with it is there's problems with it. One is that to have those kinds of high loads all the time means you really got to be on top of things as a coach. You got to be you got to manage those loads very, very carefully. Otherwise, people get hurt. They get burned out or they, or they get injured. And so it's right around this time when that really started to take off in the 80s. So, so did this idea and led by Dan as one of them, probably one of the big pioneers, if not the big pioneer, 
when he was in Texas, this idea of performance therapy, at least in the West, at least in, in the U.S., I'd say. I'm sure there was others in, in Europe doing it at the same time. This idea of performance therapy, where therapy is not just something that you send the athlete off the track and you go and get a, an ice bath or a massage after, you know, on your days off or after training. It's really therapy has to be integral to the whole training process because when athletes are doing high volumes of specific loads or high loads of specific work all the time, that's a necessity. You can't get away with it. That's the big thing with that, with that approach. So that's in a very simplistic way. That is sort of how the evolution has, has happened from, you know, um, um, training, uh, you know, the old stage stage approach to training to uh, you know what Cheney what what Cheney sort of uh, established um, and today that's basically what the, all the top guys do um, and then in there you had um, you know throwing the wrench into the whole thing was Vershansky who came along and did all these experiments and I, I think it, there's a lot of um, if you read some of the articles from the 70s and 80s out there maybe even into the 90s you know these Matviev and Vershansky didn't get along a lot. Uh, uh, you know, they had a lot of opposing ideas, and mm. they went at each other in their articles. Pretty funny, some of them. Uh, if you go back, I think there's one or two of them up on the Canadian site. But you know, Vershansky came along and did all these experiments on high jumpers, where he used this idea where you would do a massive block of strength, um, like a three-month block of strength, at the expense of doing specific and or uh, technical and speed work, sorry. And then after the block of strength, then there'd be this this um, this delayed effect of the specific abilities as you sort of drop the strength and started doing um, all the speed and technical work. Now, you know, I, I mean, when I was a young coach training in Kamloops, training Dylan and Gary Reed and those guys, we had to do that because I couldn't, we, you know, I was in Canada, I didn't have an indoor track at the time. There's one there now, but back then so we without even knowing it i had to do that i did as much specific work as i could we ran in a in an ice rink that was like sub-zero temperatures all winter but we couldn't do a lot of that because of the conditions so we we hit the weight room hard and it worked it worked really good but it's not as ideal as doing i think you know uh the other approach with high loads all around specific work all year round so there's you know there's something to be learned from the
that's kind of a quick overview of all those guys. And then, then you got Bonnerchuk. And the thing, the thing that separates, well, there's a couple things that separate Dr. B from, you know, all these other guys. One is that it's incredibly difficult to find printed material in English. And I doubt it even exists in Russian, to be honest with you. That sort of explains in nuts and bolts terms how you would implement his system. And that's why people always come to, to guys like me, Martin, who have done it and have a and have a uh, have a penchant for you know theory and methodology because you know we we you know we have the background in the in the science of it or at least so, a little bit of study on theory and methodology and we've seen the Dr. B system work on a you know on a day-to-day basis Martin having much more experience than I do because he trained with Dr. B for years and still can you know um, communicates with them today but you know um, but, so Bonnerchuk stuff is very hard to you know, I mean I read all of this stuff I read everything available that I could get my hands on uh, before I met him and when I sat down and coached with him for that last year I was here I never would have come to that I never after reading everything I had read would have ever come to to the place that to the to I, I never would have come up with what I saw, you know, on a day to day thing. I mean it's just, you know, I went from I went from training my athletes throwing three or four times a week and lifting three times a week to throwing ten times a week and lifting ten times a week. But just in little bits. Right? And that's sort of, you know, this whole idea of compression of the specific abilities which is not a term he uses, but it's something I've sort of identified as to one of the one of the big uh, a- assets to that program. Um, it is completely different than the other ones. Completely different in its philosophy, in its in its implementation. So, you know, like I alluded to earlier, you don't you don't start with uh, you know. I don't even write an annual plan anymore. Um, I only do it for the federation. Um, when I when I was coaching, you know, when I was coaching carded or funded athletes in Canada, and to be honest with you, I just took an old plan, changed the name and the dates on it, and sent it in. That's all I would do to get the money. It was, you know, and they're they're too stupid to read it. So I just uh, <laughs> nobody there could understand it anyway. So they, you know, it was a it took me thirty seconds to send in an annual plan. I don't even write an annual plan anymore because because. The Bonner truck system is too fluid. It's too reactionary to an athlete's um, to an athlete's response to training. You can't really very hard to predict what's going to happen. You have an idea, and you have an idea of where you want to be. And I can write that down, but it's a very very such a simple plan. I just I just kind of go uh, you know uh, from development cycle to development cycle. So you know again, just to sort of summarize, you know he's different because. <clears throat> You know, rather the the big, big, big difference between what Bonnerchuk does and what the other ones do is Bonnerchuk does not wave load volume and intensity. So back to the Cheney model where we talked about the very high loads, if you look at that on a graph, what the way that looks like, or if you look at that in, in sort of a yeah, like a table form, if you want to put it on paper, what you'll see is that those waves of volume and intensity are very small. The whole the look very high, but the waves, you know, that's always a significant volume, uh, volume, not really high, but moderate, and the intensity is always high. Not the big 
when you look at the old map you have model. In Fodderchuck takes that to its extreme. It is a flat line across the board. So in other words, I give you a workout, we call it a program, it says, okay, in this workout you're gonna do X number of throws, you're or jump say, you're gonna do X number of special exercises after that. You're going to go in the weight room. You're going to do X number of sets of this exercise. Then you're going to do X number of sets of general, you know, a general exercise circuit or something, something general. And that is not going to change. Literally, not anything in that workout changes. And you just keep recording the results and you follow it. And you would think, we all would think, well, if you don't change it, how are you going to get a response? But that's not what happens. By not changing it, you get a very, very specific response um, from each athlete, which is highly individual. It's highly individual in the number of sessions, in the number, in the time it takes. Uh, and using time is a bit, we don't really use time. We use the number of exposures to that workout. So, for instance, when I was coaching Sultana Frizzell, the hammer thrower, uh, you know, with her, it was eight touches, what we call touches. So every time she did one of those workouts, eight times, she would peak. If we had three different workouts and they were, we were rotating in workout one, then workout two, then workout three, it would take 24 sessions. Three, three times eight is 24, right? Yeah, three, 24 mm -hmm. sessions. All three would peak at the same time. So that's, and then, then we, then at that point, that's when you have to make a decision as to what you're going to do next, which is, you know, the next step in discussing the methodology. Does that all make sense? Yeah, I just have some questions. So, Cheney, he slightly had, uh, he had like more ripples of volume and intensity, whereas Bondershock is just a straight line all the way across. Is that what you're, what you're saying there? Yeah, in a base, yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, and also, words, with, just with with, uh, with Doctor B, I've heard you say like he's got like sixteen methods, and you know he calls this the development of sports form. But you say, well, not you say, I, I've heard you say that. I don't know if this person yourself or is it Doctor B, but that he mainly only kind of utilizes uh, four four of the models, is it? Yeah, four or five. Four, four, and, I, mean, I only used I only used two or three of them. So then, um, he uses more because he experiments more. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. You got you, you got to watch reading the books, right? So you got to remember when he wrote those. All those books are for everybody across all sports. Mm. And when we wrote our book, which is very similar to the to the periodization books, the different colored ones, you know, that have come out. Um, is that the transfer of training? Those two books. No, these are the other ones. They're called periodization and sports. There's three or four volumes now. They're they're very they're the ones with all the different charts in them, all the different reactions and things like that. Are they in the on, first? Are they on Yusuf Johnson's what? website? Are they up on Ultimate Ali Concepts? Are they? I don't know if they are. I don't know. I don't know if Yosef is 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 selling those exact ones. I think Doctor B went through a different publisher. Maybe I don't think I've seen those because I have Transfer Training one or two, and I know he has another one or two yeah, new ones. Yeah, those are great books. Those are great books. You uh, did. Uh, you did all the You did all the charts. Describes the concept. A very important concept, and transfer training is probably the best translated book he has, I think, that I've read anyways. The other ones, the other periodization books are not well translated, but they're full of all the charts, mm -hmm. and so 
and I, I wrote the first two books. I wrote all those charts um, originally I, when we wrote our book, and I gave Doctor B, B, B on a on a desk, and he used those for the first two, and then he developed a whole bunch of new ones, and so somebody else wrote the other charts. But so those periodization books are, you know, those are more uh, describe more exactly what how the nuts and bolts of the of the actual training. Um, is, is done. So, anyways, the first book has 16 different methods. Mm. Okay? So when I talk about the 16, when he talks about the 16 different methods, what he's talking about is, say, the difference between stage training and block training. And complex training. Complex training. Um, and then the variations of all those. There's a combination and you know, I asked them when, when we wrote all that in our book, which never saw the light of day, but but it's very similar to his first one. With it's sort of our book was sort of a um, you take a bunch of different chapters out of the first book plus transfer training, and that was the book we we started. It was sort of a one stop, you know, how to explain everything. And then after we we stopped writing it because we we. It was too stressful on both of us. We were just trans. It was very difficult. I won't get into why. It was just you know he was translating out of a Russian English dictionary, and then we fight over the English for three hours. And <laughs> it's actually quite a good book, but it's um, yeah, Martin. Uh, uh, you, you were here. saying Martin Bingazer said it, it's probably one of the, some of the best Bondershook material he'd seen. Yeah, because it, it it's just simple. It's just it's like you, you can actually read it and understand the text, but but because. We have the translation issues. We don't get as deep into it as he does in his book, but you don't need to. Yeah. Anyways, these he wrote these sixteen these sixteen uh, methods in the first book, and I remember saying to him, I I'm looking at these, going like combination train. I'm going, Doctor B, who would ever do this with a thrower or a splitter? And he goes, Oh, nobody would. He goes, That's for gymnastics, or you might do that in volleyball or something like this. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like. Well, 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 what do we eat? Well, well, which one do you use for athletics? And he'd go, oh, there's only four or five. But nowhere in the book does he explain that, yeah. right? So he, I've, I've seen athletics guys buy that book and look at it and go, what the fuck is this? They're like, I don't know, you know, and they and they have struggle with it. And they, But he just didn't feel a need to explain that. He thinks on a different level, right? So anyway, so, I mean, so when you, when you talk about... The, what we talked about, about the okay, let's say the development cycle in Bonner Chuck's methodology, which is the key cycle that you, you know, and I just described all this on on Rob Pacey's podcast, but that that development cycle where you it's your meat and potatoes, that's your main block of training, okay. So. In that cycle, you can use primarily what Doctor B uses is either and myself all uh, is complex or variation training. Mm -hmm. You'll use one or the other in there. Now I experimented a bit with variation near the end with Sultana, um, but not. Uh, I mainly stuck to complex, uh, which is and the complex is very simple. It's a very simple idea. You do you do all of your training in every workout all the time. Okay, so you don't divide. You might divide it up in the week, but basically, from in the entire development cycle, you're always throwing. You're
strength. And, you know, and in, if, for those familiar with the Bonatrix system, he uses his own exercise classifications. Yeah, so he's got four. this is why this is hard to describe because I start throwing around terms, it gets confusing. So if you look at the Bonatrix exercise classification, there's four of them. There's, there's EE, which is the event itself. So if you're a thrower, that's throwing. If you're sprint, that's sprinting the distance that you have. Then you got SD or the various training distances. Then you have SDE, which is you know very, what you might call specific strength or special strength and things like that. Um, those look like the competitive event, but broken down into pieces. So if you're a sprinter, it might be towing a sled, it might be running up a hill, sprinting up a hill. But it's stiff. It 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 looks like the competitive event, and it stimulates the same system. So it's sprinting, but it's um, but it is, um, you know, it could be broken up. You could be doing pieces of sprinting or an overload training and things like that. Then you got SP. Uh, a, a special uh, specific preparation exercises, SPE, which is the third one down. And those are like basically they, they, they don't look like the competitive event, but they use the same major muscle groups and they stimulate the same system. So basically, basically those would be kind of your weight room exercises or, you know, any meat and potatoes strength training exercise that doesn't copy the competitive movement, but stimulates the same system. So if you're a sprinter thrower, it would be explosive type training and it uses the same major muscle groups, which means it's going to be a global type exercise. Okay. Mm -hmm. You have big weight room exercises are good. Uh, some, some, you know, you know, the, the lines between these aren't, aren't clear either. They're, they yeah, can be yeah. a little gray. But anyways, then at the bottom is just general mm -hmm. stuff, general exercises where you, it doesn't look like the competitive exercise and it doesn't stimulate the same system. They're used for, you know, maintenance of general athletic ability and recovery. Yeah. So those are your, we'll use that exercise classification when we talk about this because for me to balance back and forth between other definitions just gets confusing. So, so in other words, everything you can possibly do in training fits into those four classifications. Yeah. Well, you're doing those four classifications all the time in a in a complex methodology, and you don't change the exercises. So, what what you start at the beginning, you finish with at the end. No change. When you you have a variation exercise, uh, when you use a variation method. It's the exact same thing, except periodically within the development cycle, you're going to change all the exercises. When by exercises, I mean everything. So if you're a thrower and you're throwing your shot putter and you're throwing a 16-pound shot in the in the you know at the beginning, and you switch to an 18-pound shot, that's a, that we'll call that a change in exercise. Okay, it's a change in implement, but for our, you know, the way that this, just so you understand what I'm saying when I say exercise, okay? Yeah. So in a variation method, you're changing, and, and his, the, you know, the example he gives is every two weeks you're changing, you're changing um, the exercises. In reality, it depends upon the athlete and that change. You know, when I was, I never went with weeks. I went with the number of workouts. So with Sultana or this other girl, I coach Heather State, it would be every 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 third touch of a every third workout we would change it so Derek, just, just a quick question there on that one then you so 
when you say on that variation model you're changing everything so you're changing everything across the board in gp sp sd and are you also changing the competition exercise as well a variation of it or yes yeah. okay so, yeah. e so everything is being changed in the variation model in a, in a true variation method. Yeah. Now, there's blends of these things. You can have a complex variation method where yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> the first two don't change throughout the development cycle, but the bottom two, the, the SPE and the, and the GPE, they change every two weeks. These are not, I mean, there's all kinds of options here. Yeah. And one of yeah. the problems that people get when they talk about the Bonnetrick system is they get hung up on they think there's all these rules. There are principles, there are rules, but you know, there's all these different methods and they all work. You just have to find out which one works best for you and your athlete. Yeah, absolutely. No, because I actually, just as I said to you, when I listened to your podcast before we came on today, I was like, this explains his model very well. It made it very easy to understand because I, I, under, I understood the concepts of his exercise classifications, his G, his GP, SP, SD, and uh, CE for competition exercise. I've seen Martin Bingazer actually did a great video with on Joel James's website about two, three years ago, where he kind of broke that down. So I mean, that always made sense to me. But then listening to your podcast, I see that then that those exercise classifications can be put into many other sort of models or methods. So like the stage complex, yeah. complex variation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually. We, we adopted that, and Tom Crick adopted that system, of uh, that exercise classification, mm. and he used it for all the coach development language in all the coach development work in the UK, simply because it's very simple. Yeah. It's very simple and easy to understand, and it, and it encompasses everything. And so uh, I, I really like it. I, I, I haven't used some of the other... I'm not saying that the other terminologies aren't right or anything i'm just saying that this cl exercise classification makes it easy to talk about it and it makes it easy to it's a very smart very intelligent way of classifying all the exercise that that you can do if you get outside of this classification and you start talking about you know specific work speed work specific strength absolute strength, general strength, those terms are so mismatched and they're so, they're so, you know, what, one thing can mean something to someone else. It's very, it can mean something entirely different to some, someone else. It's very, very hard to have a conversation, you know, not, not that you can't, but you're constantly defining what you're, what you're talking about. Whereas in this system, it just makes it easier using this classification. That's it for part one, guys. Be sure to be on the lookout for part two when I put it out. But until then, I'll talk to you soon. Be well and stay strong.